0: Man. All right. Kids, y'all are dismissed. Y'all have fun. Okay. I think I got that. All right. For the rest of us, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6. So we're continuing right along with our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're kind of turning a corner here um, as we come to this spot. And so... kind of where we've been, where we're going. So we started with those Beatitudes where we're learning about what it's like to be Christ-like. It's giving us that kind of picture and word of Christ and who he is and his actions. And then it kind of goes into the city on a hill, the idea that as we become Christ-like, the whole purpose and idea of becoming Christ-like is not for ourselves, but it's for others, so that's something that shouldn't be hidden, shouldn't be kept away or shouldn't be you know, under a basket, but it should be a light to the world that we're Christ-like. And so then we go from that into this idea that if we're Christ-like, um, God is concerned about what's in our hearts, not necessarily about just the actions that we do or do not do. Um, and we know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so what's in our what's in our heart is going to come out in our actions in our interactions with other people, and so kind of that that rest of chapter six we really focused in on the ways that we interact with other people the ways that we we treat them whether that or sorry five whether that be um, lust or or whether that be anger um, whether it be holding grudges all of those things are how we treat and how we look at those around us that God has placed in front of us. And so once again, he's talking to uh, primarily the disciples and then this group gathered around him, the idea that, you know, the Israelite community was one that was, it's a system built on community and togetherness. Um, and so when we take this, we have to be careful not to read this as just instructions for us as individuals, but we have to read and understand this as instructions for the community, the whole. And so as we get into chapter 6, we're going to turn that corner So we're not looking at outward actions, um, but once again, we're turning inward and we're looking at really the ways that we view ourselves, the ways that we view ourselves. And so that's going to play out in what Paul or what (laughs) Jesus gets into here with praying, with giving, with fasting. Do we do those things um, so that people think highly of us? Um, So all of us have this picture of who we are in our mind. Um, so we have this, this self-picture of ourself. Uh, and generally, how we interact with people is a reflection of that self-picture. And so if we don't have a good self-picture of ourselves, maybe we're shy. Maybe we don't like to interact with, with people. If we uh, have a very high picture of ourself, maybe we're prideful. Maybe we're boastful as we interact. Um, but generally, what we tend to present to others is not our true or whole self. Um, we present a filtered image of to those around us. And so what we're going to get into in the next uh, couple sermons on the Mount, um, so we'll have this week and then we'll break for two weeks for Easter, and then we'll come back um, to prayer and fasting. Um, but this is going to flow right into prayer and fasting with the idea of what is that self-picture we have? And when we look at ways that we worship God's ways that we interact with our community of faith, are they genuine? Do they really come for the heart? Or in a way, are we feeding into a cultural system and propping up that view that we have of ourselves? And so for us in the Bible Belt, in you know a cultural Christianity space, um, you, you can't operate in East Texas without running against that culture of Christianity. And so this is something that's really hard for us um, because um, the you that the world expects from you in East Texas is a Christian you. Uh, it is somewhat a, a moralistic, uh, I think Matt Chandler used to call it a moralistic, theistic deism. The idea that we have this idea of God and God is good, so we need to be generally good. And so that plays out in our religion of we generally want people to think we're good so they know that we believe in God. And so it, it plays out in the way we treat others. And that's the exact same system that Jesus was bumping up against here with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So as we get into this, let's go ahead and we'll read the verse, and then we're going to kind of break it down, the first verse and then the, the next three. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we get this idea of this picture in this first verse here, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, All right? So... It's not saying don't practice your righteousness in front of other people. But as you do, you need to have a check on your heart of why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I want other people to think highly of me? Am I doing this in our area? Maybe am I doing this simply because it's what's expected of me? You know, as a citizen, as a son or a daughter, as a parent, am I going through these motions um, of cultural Christianity because this is what is expected of me in in my area. And so uh, I've known, we've gotten to talk to lots of different people over the years, and I've heard lots of stories where when you ask someone, you know, why are you a Christian, what makes you a a believer? And their response is, well, my grandma took me to church. Um, And so they have a very kind of cultural Christianity of well, we're just Christians. That's just who we are. My, my parents are Christians. My grandparents were Christians. And it's not so much that they're pulling on uh, a deep personal knowledge of Jesus and interaction with him, but they're pulling on culture. They're pulling on this is simply what we do uh, in our area. Mother's Day, Easter, and Christmas, we go to church and that's who we are. Um, of course, I'm a Christian. I raise my kids to be you know, God-fearing Christians, you know, and so we have this idea that Christianity is just about this idea of moral right and wrong, moral good and bad, and so we want to make sure that when people see us, the us that they see matches with those expectations for our area, and so this is exactly what Jesus is speaking against, and so very similar to uh, where Michelle and Rex just had y'all with withholding grudges, the idea is Jesus isn't attacking the Old Testament. He's attacking uh, what the Old Testament had become. He's not attacking the law. He's attacking what uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees had made the law into. And so the idea with that last passage was you've heard it said, not that the Old Testament says, not that the Word says, but you've heard it said and taught this, but I'm saying this. And so the idea is... um, Those practices in the Old Testament, the idea of coming to the temple, sacrificing, meeting with the priest, giving um, giving your tithes so that they could go to to the priest and to the care of the temple, those types of things, giving to the poor, became something that was a routine people acted out. It didn't come from a place of belief. It didn't come from an inward self that had a connection to God, but it became about the practice of it. So would you say this is like we compare ourselves to each other so instead like of what we're trying to do is just outdo each other. Very much so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so the idea is, um, is my comparison, you know, look at how much I'm giving compared to this person, um, or look at how good I am um, compared to what they did. At least I'm not that bad. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not this yeah, and that's a very cultural way we act out Christianity in East Texas, uh, and I would say more so probably than than other regions or other parts of the country, just because of how uh, historically cultural Christianity we are in East Texas. We put levels to when there isn't really right. Life. Right. We're seeing it from this way. He's seeing it from. We're seeing it the bar graph this way. He's seeing it that way. It's <laughs> all just, just squares. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not about. You know, the level of need we have, it's about that everybody has need, and that brings us to that level foot of the cross. And so, once again, we we come to this place where now we're looking at things in a different way, but it's really the same message Jesus had, you know, from the beginning of chapter five, and that is, it's really about your heart. Um, It's really about your heart. Do you care more about being a good person um, or having people think you're a good person? You know, so it, it digs down to, and this is something we really have to wrestle with. Do we care more about how people perceive us? Uh, am I doing the things I do because I want to be received a certain way, or am I doing the things I do because I feel the Holy Spirit moving in my life, and, and this is what I feel a relationship with Jesus calls me to do, calls me to act out. And so we, we go from that, and that's going to be kind of the same, that, that verse 1 is going to carry through. Um, not just giving, but it's going to carry through prayer and fasting as well. That idea of don't practice your righteousness for others in order to be seen by them. But we practice righteousness because the Holy Spirit compels us to, because it's building us to be Christ-likeness. And so that's, that's the one thing we really need to understand is this idea of practicing righteousness. And so the idea of practicing righteousness is I'm not righteous. I can't be righteous in and of myself My ultimate righteousness comes from Jesus on the cross, his blood. Now, I have a continual working out of righteousness uh, before I'm fully made righteous. So we call this the idea of I've been saved. So I've been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And so that salvation is something I have. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, but now I'm being sanctified. So the Holy Spirit is working righteousness in me to grow my character, to grow my life, to grow my heart, to grow my mind, to make it more like Christ. And then I will eventually be glorified in heaven where I'll be made fully righteous before God because I'll be made a new, a new creature before him. Um, and so we're in that middle part is what we're talking about. So we practice righteousness, not of our own doing, but we practice righteousness because the Holy Spirit is in us, molding us into the character of Christ. And so verse two says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may uh, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so it it gives it goes to this. Um, why do we give? Why do we give to the needy? Why do we give to others? And so he paints this contrast, and so he says, don't give to the needy as the hypocrites do, sounding that trumpet. So the idea is they give to be noticed, and that uh, the word hypocrite there in the Greek uh, really means to be an actor. Um, So I think a lot of times we think of hypocrites as Um, someone who says something and does another. That's kind of our definition of hypocrite. In the Greek, the idea is it's someone who's doing something simply to be noticed by others. Um, So someone who's acting for an audience. And so he says that's the picture of those that would give in the synagogue sometimes is they would come in and they would make loud proclamations or if they gave to the poor waiting in front of the temple, they would do with a big show because the idea was they weren't giving to meet the need of someone. They were giving so that those around them would think highly of. Oh, that person must be really good because look at who they're they're giving to. Look at everything that they're they're doing. We want, you know, we have an innate need, I think, to, you know, to want people to think highly of us. You know, that pride is deep in us um, that we want to be thought highly of. So it led me to this question of: So why do we give? Why do we give? Um, Because that's not really a question that Jesus directly answers here. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing um, so that your giving may be in secret. Um, And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so he's not saying don't give for the praise of men, but give for a reward from the father. That's not that's not what he's saying. He's saying when you give in secret, in other words, not for the praise of men, you'll have a reward from your father. So it still goes back to the heart. So I fear, like we read this really quickly, and we think, "Well, I need to give in secret, so God will reward me, not men." But at the end of the day, are we still giving for a reward? I think sometimes we can think of, um, you know, God as this, uh, is this, you know, investment. He's the stock market thing. If I put this in, and I'll get this out. And we view tithing and giving. And I've heard it preached so many times of, of the idea of sowing a seed and multiplying that if you just give God your $1,000 seed, you'll get $10,000 in, in return. And so we, our giving becomes this transactional thing of I'm not giving because it's in my heart. I'm, I'm giving because the, the pastors told me if I give $1,000 now, then later on I'll get 10000 you know, So I want $10,000, so that's why I'm giving the 1000 now. So we give expecting, we give for the reward. Like we're buying something from God. Uh, And God is not a transactional God in that way. He's a God of blessing of sons and daughters. So the idea is that we should have a desire in our heart to give, not that we're giving to get something in return. And so God's rewarding, not the giving, but he's rewarding the desire in our heart to make a difference in the world around us. That's that's where the reward of the Father comes in, because that's where his love, his light is shining through. So I think the main reason when we say, why do we give, is we give because we've received with great grace. So with great grace, we respond to those around us. Um, so as we give, and so... Um, You know, there's and I didn't want to make this about tithing and giving because there's so many different ways to kind of break it down and look at it. But there's an aspect of giving that is we are a church body. We are renting a physical space that has electricity and needs and we have nursery workers that we want to we want to pay for and bless. We have, you know, coffee. We have physical needs that we have to pay for. So we come together and collectively give into the church so that we can meet those needs. But then there's another level of giving that is um, I see a need around me and I feel compelled to give into that need. Whether it's a person, um, whether it's another ministry, um, whether it's you know, someone that you run across in your day-to-day life that they need help. And so um, I, I think sometimes um, as Christians we either view giving as transactional. So I'm giving my $1,000 to get my $10,000. Or we view it as an automatic draft. Well, it's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to tithe 10% so that automatically comes out at the beginning of the month. I don't really think about it, but it's just what you're supposed to do when you're in church. Um, And really, giving should be something that we are thinking through, that we are mindful of, um, with the idea of this has an end goal. This has an end result. I'm not just giving because it's what I'm supposed to do. Um, I'm giving because I'm compelled to for the good of the kingdom. I'm giving because I'm compelled to, because Christ is living and moving inside of me. So ultimately, I would argue we give because it's a matter of grace. We have been blessed with finances, and God calls us to be a blessing to others with the blessings that we receive. So it's this idea of everything I do is is an imprint of the mercy on my life. So I have been shown great mercy, so I give as a mercy to those around me, not that I'm looking for. Do they deserve it? Can they earn it? Can they repay it? You know, at so many times we make these snap judgments. When I'm so thankful, God does not make those snap judgments with me. Um, that he gives with mercy. So Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. In John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John says, But if anyone has the words of God and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. So part of how we love others is, are we concerned enough for their needs? And so um, we have all these different definitions kind of in English, but I think a lot of times the church has sympathy, um, but no compassion or empathy. So sympathy says, you're in a sucky spot, and that really sucks, and I'm sorry for you. You know, compassion says, I see where you're at, um, I want to do something about it. I want to help you. Empathy says, I see where you're at and I don't understand it, but I want to try to understand where you're coming from so that I can help meet that need. And so what we have to do uh, kind of as a church is we have to push against the grain and struggle to move. We want to move past just sympathy and we want to move to that compassion, empathy. And so God didn't just have uh, sympathy for us. He didn't just look down and go, oh, you poor fallen creatures, but he had compassion. I'm, I'm going to send a sacrifice for you. He had empathy. I'm going to come in the flesh so I can feel your hurt, so I can feel your pain, so I can feel your struggle, and then I'm going to meet you with compassion, with grace and mercy through the cross. And so Jesus moves past that sympathy, and Jesus in the flesh moves to that idea of empathy. He wept. He felt pain. He was hungry. He was hungry. He understood where we're coming from, where our struggles are, and moved to compassion of he died on the cross for us so that we can be reconciled. And so it's out of that heart that we give. It's out of that heart that we extend mercy as we've been given mercy. And so I think probably the best example of this, um, is the parable of the good Samaritan. And, uh, And we talk all the time about it's so, so important to not just know the stories, um, but to understand the context of when Jesus spoke them. So, so many times, and I've been guilty of this, where I'll do a sermon series and I'll hit all the parables. But I never stop to look at why did Jesus tell that parable at that time? And so many times when we miss the, the context and the framework of when Jesus shares a parable, we miss so much about the purpose of that parable. So the context um, of this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is this. And so it happens right after. So Jesus sends out the 72. So he sends out the the disciples two by two so they can go minister in his name so they can uh, do all these amazing miracles and things. And so the 72 come back to Jesus, um, and they're just blown away because they say, man, you wouldn't believe Jesus. We cast out these demons and they left. That's amazing. So they're looking at Jesus. We did all these miracles. Look at all these miracles that we did. And Jesus basically looks at him and says, why are you rejoicing in that? He says, yeah, I've come to crush serpents under my feet, but that's not something to rejoice in, you know? So he goes from that. They come back. They're amazed at the miracles that they did in the name of Jesus. And he goes like, why are you rejoicing about that? And he says this. (laughs) He says, then turning to the disciples, he says privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So he goes from that about what they've done, and he goes directly into the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, that's where we always get in trouble, desiring to justify ourselves, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, When he came to the place, saw him passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan. So in their culture, remember, Samaritan is a half-breed. They are someone who has abandoned the Jewish tradition, who is a traitor, and who is not worthy to sit at their tables. So this is, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where um, he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and do likewise. So we have this picture right right together, right in contrast where the disciples have done something miraculous. They've cast out the demons. They come to Jesus and he goes, why are you celebrating that? And then someone asks a question. And the point of the story is the person who has shown mercy is the one who's followed Jesus. Go and do likewise. So, so many times we get wrapped up in, in revival culture that we want the big events. We want the miraculous healings. Uh, we want to cast the demons out. We want that big spectacular show that's going to that's gonna awe people, it's going to shake them in their boots. And so, a- as it comes to the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out, what does he tell them to do? Go and show mercy. Go and show mercy. Don't awe and celebrate in the miraculous. Go and show mercy. And so why do we give? Because we are commanded to go and show mercy. Not just that we are commanded to go show in mercy, but we've been so greatly impacted by mercy that it should ooze through every pore of our being as we interact with the world around us. So what's our heart when we give? What's our heart when we interact with the world around us? Um, and I think we have to be really honest with ourselves in what things are we doing because we've always been expected to, and we know this is what we need to do. Um, <laughs> I think Rex told me one time, it kind of stuck with me, um, <laughs> he said, uh, uh, that he'd heard a society's ability to self-govern is evident, um, in the, the grocery store parking lot, who, who has the ability to put their carts away when no one is watching, um, And so it was just this momentarily thing, like the first time he said it to me, I was like, well, that's a pretty strange way to look. And then it it just made me think of like, who without any expectations, without anybody looking on, will take the move to create order out of chaos, will take the the move to serve when expected to be served. And so, uh, I mean, I think the same thing has to be said about our giving, So if no one noticed, if no one saw us, would we still give the way that we give? And then even in our giving, do we give the way we give because it's what's expected of us? Because we're looking for that return of investment? You know, do we have that spreadsheet? God, I'm not sure I've seen the return of investment. Because I've gotten so caught up into that of I got this, you know, blessing at work. I got this increase in pay at work because I was a good giver or because I'm aligned with a good giver. And really what we reduce giving down is we take it out of the option to be mercy and we make it transactional. God I did something good and you gave me this in return. So it's crazy when I look back at at how I've spoken before about things. Essentially what I said was I bought my raise with my tithe. It was an expectation. I gave God. God blessed because I expect a blessing in return on my giving, or do we give because we want to show radical mercy? Because radical mercy has been shown around us, and so, like I said, this is not just about giving. Um, this is going to be uh, everything we do. How much of what we do is to feed into that perception that we have of ourselves, and that we want to hold shiny and spotless before people, and how much of what we do is simply out of the heart, out of that relationship to Jesus. Uh, Y'all stand to your feet. Let's pray. Um, Dear only Father, God, we we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. Father, that while we were unworthy, knowing that we would continue to be unworthy, knowing that we couldn't uh, repay you, that we couldn't make it up, Father, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you for the mercy that we've received, for the grace that's been given to us. Um, Father, I thank you that you've uh, given us the Holy Spirit, Father, that you can sanctify us, Father, that you can help us practice that righteousness in ourselves uh, through the Holy Spirit, that we can grow and we can look more like you every day, and we can use that to impact the world around us. So, Father, I pray that you would um, help us examine our giving, Helping examine our hearts. Do we give out of mercy, Father? Do we give out of expectation? Um, Do we give because we want to be noticed by others, Father? Um, So, Father, I just uh, deal with us gently with your Holy Spirit in this matter. Father, we thank you and we praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.